Well, we are in the midst of this uh, series called You Asked, which is questions that you guys have submitted. And today we're addressing the subject, what happens when we die? These were the questions that were actually submitted. What happens to the people who die who do not believe in God? Second part of that is, do they get a second chance? This one was submitted. This was in a child's handwriting, a really good question. Before God and Jesus made heaven, where did people go when they died? And the third question was, what happened to people who died pre-Jesus dying to save us? I'm going to try and answer them uh, in some way in, in what I'm doing. People raise their hands, have got the notes. You need notes, that would be helpful to you. I'm going to start by telling you something that until today I had not said publicly in this way. I mentioned I was going to say this tomorrow, uh, yesterday to my family, and I'm not sure that they even knew that I'd done this. But this was something that I prayed at some time. And I'd like to introduce it by showing a photograph here of my mum and dad. Nice photo, isn't it? There we go. That's my dad and my mum in 1985, 86. In case you're wondering where it is, that's Nursborough in Yorkshire. And it's when we were at Bible College and they were visiting us. It's my favourite photo of my dad for the simple reason he's smiling. And my dad hated having his photograph taken with a vehemence. And so to get him on a, photo, on a photograph and to have him smiling is a major achievement. At that time, he was 65, 66 years of age. Honestly, I thought he was ancient. I was 23. I now realize he was a young man in his prime. And there he is, alive and well, 24 years later. On January the 2nd, 2009, when he was 88 years of age, he passed away. And when my dad was dying in St. John's Hospice in Clatterbridge in the Wirral, I prayed for him. This is what I haven't shared before publicly. This is what I prayed for him. Not with him, but for him. I prayed that he would have some kind of experience so that as he died and went from this life to the next, my prayer was, Lord, will you give my dad some kind of experience that he knows he's slipping away into heaven? May he know the reality of heaven, that there's something that assures him as he's passing away. I'll be honest with you, I prayed that for two reasons. I prayed that, number one, because in his weakness and towards the end of his life, he was starting to get rather fearful of what was beyond this life. And the second reason is, don't tell anybody this, just lean in. This is the second reason I prayed that. 
So was I. I was getting fearful. I didn't want him to die. And I prayed that prayer as much for me as I did for him. Give him an experience of some taste to assure him of heaven. And by the way, let me say this. It's all right to have faith and your unbelief working together all at the same time. There was a man that came to Jesus with his son who'd been convulsing. We think it was, we know from the passage, it was a demon. And when he was convulsed, he was thrown into a fire or he was thrown into a lake. And the father brought his son and said, Jesus, can you heal him? Please do something for him. And Jesus says, do you believe? Because uh, if you believe, all things are possible. And this is what the man said. He said, Lord, if you read the passage, he says, Lord, I believe. It was a loud voice. Then he adds, but help me with my unbelief. And I feel like that. And you can too. In lots of areas. Lord, we believe. I believe, you see, in eternal life. I believe in life beyond the grave. I do. But Lord, help me with my unbelief. I prayed that because I'd known lots of people over the years that have talked about this kind of experience. There was a, a guy that I'd heard of a number of times over the years that through from Greg Haslam, who was the pastor at Westminster Chapel. His dad came to faith very late in life and was in hospital. And whilst he was in hospital, Greg describes how his dad sat up in bed towards the end of his life and he said, I can see a beautiful garden. A beautiful garden. And Greg said to his dad, Dad, that's how the Bible describes paradise. He says, a beautiful garden is the word paradise in the Bible. It's like a cultivated walled garden. He said, what you're seeing is where you're going, Dad. You're going to paradise. That's the same word that is used. You know when Jesus is on the cross and there's two thieves either side of him and one thief just rejects Jesus, the other thief shouts out and says, this is a man of God who puts his faith in him in some way. And Jesus says to that man, this night, this night, Notice that, no delay. This night, you'll be with me in paradise. Same word. So I'd heard of people having this experience. I knew of another man, Buchanan, who died. And it says, he said when he died, he went to heaven, what he believes was heaven, and he was lying on the grass, and he saw that the blades of grass had mouths, and even they were giving praise to God, he said. They were giving, or maybe he didn't say about the mouths, that's what I added in. He said, even the blades of grass were crying out, praise to God, praise to God. And then some of you, any of you here ever heard of the jellyfish man? Nobody? Ian McCormack, check him out. You'll find him on the website. His story is, he was stung multiple times by, I think it's box jellyfish, Poisonous jellyfish. He believes he died in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. And then in the hospital, they revived him. But he, in that moment of death, he saw heaven and he saw layers and layers of light. And then he saw a picture of his mother praying. And he had the conversation with Jesus and he had to come back. And it's because of the prayers of his mother. And he talked about what heaven was like for those few minutes. So I prayed this. 
because I've heard of these experiences. And I wanted my dad to experience that. And I wanted my faith bolstering. My dad did not have such an experience. He was sedated heavily with morphine because of the pain with his cancer. And he slipped away quietly into eternity. But I'll tell you this. That didn't knock my faith in God. That didn't mean, oh, why didn't you do that for me, Lord? I don't believe in the eternal state. No, no, because my confidence in eternal life and a life beyond this life, in a heaven and a hell, as you'll hear me share, my confidence rests not in people's experiences as good as they are. Bring them on. Give us some more, Lord. They warm our faith, don't they? But my faith doesn't rest in that. My faith rests in a resurrected Jesus and he's the pattern. He died, he was buried, he rose again, he had a glorified body, he ascended into heaven. So my confidence is not even in the pages of the Bible, but it's the story of the Bible about the person of Jesus Christ. Did I hear an amen? Our confidence is in Jesus. He's the pattern we need to look at. He's the one we need to examine and say, how did it work for him? Because how it worked for him is how it will work for us. And that's where our faith lies. So I want to go through this this morning, or this afternoon as it is now, and go through what happens when we die. Just three simple steps. Number one, this. I'm going to read to you a verse from 2 Corinthians 5. It's in your notes, verse 6 to 8. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are a home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and a home with the Lord. Or as one version puts it, absent from the body, but present with the Lord. See, when God created us, he created us as what's described as tripartite being. That beings. That just simply means there's three bits to us. A little bit like the Godhead, though we're not divine in that way. We have a body, soul, and spirit. And I've put a very technical drawing. It's about my heavy guys, circles, interlocking circles in this way. Uh, and I put spirit, soul, and body as three parts, but they make up the whole. I just said it to you in this way. We are body, soul, and spirit. Why? Because most of us, what we see of one another is our bodies first. But the Bible actually reverses that order when it talks about it. So by the way, some people believe we're just bipartite. There's just two bits to us. That's all right. We're not going to fight over that. They just mean there's an immaterial part and there's a material part. There's the body, and some see that the soul and the spirit are one and the same. I think there's three because of the likes of this verse, which reverses the order that I put. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means God's going to save every single bit of you. But the way Paul writes about it is this way. Spirit, soul, and body. May God bring to completion the job of salvation which applies to every part of you. Spirit, soul, 
soul and body. Because the essence of a person is not your body, though it's not insignificant and it should be treated with respect. And we'll talk about that as we go through. But the essence of the real you is your spirit. Your spirit person. The spirit person is the part of you which connects with God when you're born again. Your soul, that's your intellect, your will, your emotions, is constantly being sanctified. That's changed to be like Jesus. And ultimately, good news, so will your body be changed and your body will be saved. Every bit of you. But this verse here tells us we are soul, we are spirit, soul, and body. Another verse that alludes to a difference between the soul and the spirit is this one, Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, which would seem to indicate that they are different rather than being the same. So here's what I want to say. Number one, this is your blanks in your notes. When we die, our spirit and our body separate doesn't mean it's a permanent separation, but they separate. And what happens is death is the tearing apart of those intertwined areas. Death is the separation. That's why it's painful for us in this physical world when someone we love departs because their body, which we related to, is now dead and in the ground or cremated, but their true self, the essence of themselves, is separated and goes on into eternity, the spirit. One day there'll be a reuniting with a new body, but I'm running ahead of myself, just so you know the body is not important. But the spirit goes on. Listen, look at this. James 2, verse 26 states this For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So our bodies without a spirit, our spirit, are lifeless. I've only seen five dead people. Some of you, particularly if you're in the medical profession, you may have seen a lot more. Five dead people close up, that is, when I could see into their eyes, as it were. But a friend, Merrill, died when we were in the world pastoring there. First person I ever saw dead in a hospital. My dad, obviously saw him dead. Not long after we moved in here, I was asked to go and pray for a lady in Addenbrooke's hospital. A lady I didn't know. I walked into the room, I didn't know the lady. I knew the instant I saw her, she's dead. I was in India, and how degrading was this? There was a dead man on a railway station platform which we all had to step over as we were going for the train. And finally, recently, I saw my sister-in-law Eileen in hospital and she was dead and I stood with my brother. And I think you, those of you that have seen dead people like that, you'll agree with this. You know they're not there. It really just is a tent. When I looked first into the eyes of Merrill, I was with the doctor from the church who was in the world with me, Steve. I said, Steve, this is the first person I've seen dead. Merrill isn't there. 
she's gone. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't purely on an intellectual level. There was spirit. There was something that I knew and he knew. That's just the tent. That's just the outer form that's here. The real person, the essence of the person has gone somewhere else. When my dad died, we were obviously around his bed and we cried and we prayed. Ange was there and some, my, my sister's husband, my brother was there. And then they ushered us out of the hospital room. And after a few minutes, a quarter of an hour or so, they said, would you like to go in and see your husband for my mum and father? And this isn't a rule that I'm setting. I'll tell you what I did. And my mum did the same. We said, no, we don't want to go in. The reason we didn't want to go in was the real him was not there. There was no breath in his lungs. There was no light in his eyes. His spirit had gone. My brother and my sister, they chose to go in and see him. That's fine, whatever comforts you best. But I had a memory already in my mind that I wanted to hold there and it wasn't to go in and see his dead body. So our spirit and our body separate. Number two. When we die, the next thing we know is we face judgment. This is recorded for us and answers the question, is there a second chance? There isn't. This is what it says in Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed for man to die once and then face judgment. That's pretty emphatic. You die once and then judgment. No reincarnation, no second chance, one life, and then judgments. Nowhere in the Bible, and I know for some of you, well, maybe the Bible doesn't hold enough sway for you. That's why I go to Jesus, not just the Bible. But nowhere does the Bible talk about a second opportunity. And if people talk to you about everyone being saved, I don't say this very often from a platform, but those that teach universalism, that everyone's going to go to heaven. It's not in the Bible. And there are some great thinking men and women that say that, but there's no second chance. You are appointed to live life, die once, then face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Now I want you to get this. Just put up, if you will, this chart here. So this is the way it works, guys. Follow my little pointer. If you're a Christian and you die, and by the way, it's 100% still death rate, so Christians are going to die. You face death. Christian, non-Christian, just the same, death. At that point of death there is when we face judgment. That's not a judgment of works or a judgment of rewards. That's a judgment of faith. What does my faith secure for me? And what your faith secures for you is where you go in this intermediate stage before the resurrection and the judgment day. And this intermediate stage means you either go to paradise with Jesus, which is a real, tangible, beautiful garden, or you go to Hades 
And I prefer to call it Hades rather than hell because hell really applies to this lake of fire whereas Hades is the realm of the dead. It's where when you die, if you're not a Christian, the realm you go to before, which is not a pleasant place, let me say this, before the return of Jesus. And when Jesus returns, there is our resurrection. So the Bible describes it like this. The dead in Christ will rise first and those that are left on this earth, believers, will join them and join him in the air as he returns. Paul Reed may say more about this next week. And this resurrection and judgment day is all of the same time and that judgment is different to this judgment. This is a judgment of faith. This is a judgment of works. Or as Andrew Harris said to me in, the, in between the services, which may be a better term, a judgment of rewards. Because this is when we get rewarded for what we've done on this earth. Now, don't get me wrong. Everyone gets to go to heaven if they believe in Jesus. But there's still rewards in heaven that have to do with what we do in this earth. Which, by the way, means let's be very careful how we live. I want to get my rewards. If you think, oh, we can't live for reward, then you're trying to be more, more, more biblical than the Bible. More religious. There's a reward that's down to what we do with the resources, with the gifts, with the talents that we have, and with the message that's been entrusted to us. And then, after the judgment day, it's whether we enter into the new heaven and new earth, and I prefer to call the heaven, new heaven and new earth, rather than just heaven, because it's at that point where there's this recreating of the heavens and the earth, where they are joined, and there's, this in, there's no link in between, there's no gap in between anymore. They join up, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, or there's a lake of fire. Some believe the lake of fire is for eternity. Some believe the lake of fire is just for a while. They call themselves annihilationists or conditionalists. Don't worry about that. There is a lake of fire. There's a hell to be avoided. There's a hell to be avoided. Sometimes we think, oh, what about... Auntie Anne. Everyone has an Auntie Anne, don't they? Auntie Anne never did anyone any harm. She going to go to hell? Well, Auntie Anne probably had opportunity in this life to make a decision for Jesus one way or the other. Maybe when she went to the Christmas service and she heard about Jesus coming from heaven to save her and she thought, oh, maybe one day. And she made a choice not to choose Jesus. Or maybe, let's go to the near the end of her life, Auntie Anne never done anyone any harm. But all her friends are starting to die off. She starts to think about eternity. And even as she's getting older, there's something inside that says, maybe this life isn't all there is. And there's something crying out inside. Go on, follow that off. She said, oh, one day. And we could go to different seasons in her life where she's just made a choice in order to not decide to pursue God and follow Jesus. Does that mean God has sent her to hell? Honestly? It sounds like more to me she made some choices in order to go there. Do we believe in a heaven and a hell? We do. There's a heaven to be sought and a hell to be avoided. So when we die... Our spirits and our bodies are separated. We're judged and we end up in Hades or in paradise. And there's one day, a judgment day for us all that's coming forward. 
And then finally this, point three. When Jesus returns, we will receive a glorified, everyone say glorified. It's a lovely religious word, but it's a great word. We will all receive glorified bodies and then the last enemy of death is ultimately destroyed. I wish I had time, but I haven't, to read to you the whole of 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know whether people ever do this when preachers say it, but Billy, go home this afternoon. Choose your beverage of choice. Choose your music of choice. Sit still and read all of 1 Corinthians 15 slowly. We'll find out whether you did it next week. All right? And I say that to all of you. Go home and read. Get a Bible. Google it if you haven't got a Bible. Just put 1 Corinthians 15 and it'll come up. Bible Gateway. And read the whole of it slowly. It's an amazing passage. And I'm going to tell you some of the things that it says in there that you might remember, Billy, when you're reading. And we'll test you on it next week. No pressure. I want to give you 10 things, very quickly, that are resurrection bodies. Remember what I said? The spirit separates, the body goes into the ground, or you may be cremated. God can deal with that. I used to have a Welsh pastor who said, don't ever do a cremation because you're burning your body, burning the seed. Hey, God's bigger and able to put together that burned, charred body back together to make it a resurrection body if he needs to. So whatever you want to do for your funeral, you do it. I can't come to them all. Obviously, some of you will live way longer than me, but the body goes into the ground, whether it's ashes to ashes or dust to dust goes into the ground, but when Jesus returns, that body is then resurrected and you are given a new, glorious, glorified body. Just smile because that will really make you healthy. look forward to that a little bit more than, than you, you are right now. And this is what the body's going to be like. Number one, our resurrection bodies will be the same but different. I don't know how to say this without it sounding a bit weird, but aren't bodies wonderful? Aren't they? I know some of us got aches and pains, but bodies are wonderful. Some of you look like, am I allowed to amen that? They're fantastic. I love, no, I love human beings. They're wonderful. With all our inadequacies. And the new body is going to be very like this body, but without all the stuff that restricts us. So this is what 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, Billy. It talks about a seed and that your body is a seed. And if you plant a seed, if I plant an apple pip seed, guess what? It comes out of the ground eventually glorious, full of fruit and laden. It's the same. If I put a corn seed in the ground, I expect to harvest corn. If I put a bean in the ground, I expect to harvest bean. So it's the same, but different. And there's something, and this is the picture that Paul paints. When we put it in the ground, it's the same when it comes out, but different. So our resurrection bodies will be the same, but different. Number two, our resurrection bodies will be patterned after Christ. In the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the first Adam being a living being, and then the last Adam, Jesus, being a life-giving spirit. Jesus died too, but his body that was resurrected is going to be very, our body is going to be very similar to his body that was resurrected. 
And so on this planet, though we bear the body of Adam, we have genetic damage, we have sickness, we have death. But in the resurrection body, all those things will have passed away and there'll be nothing in our new genes or nothing in our makeup that will be pertaining to sickness or weakness or disease or sin. It's a whole new, our citizenship is in heaven. So it will be very like Jesus' body when he rose from the dead. Say a bit more about that in a minute. Number three, how about this one? Our resurrection bodies will be incapable of dying. There will be no more death in heaven. For the old order of things have passed away. Now, some passages talk about there being in heaven meat. I've had this conversation with my vegetarian daughter a few times. How can there be meat in heaven if there's no death? Well, maybe when we get to heaven, God's able to produce meat like he did with manna that doesn't have to kill an animal. How about that? You think, well, it doesn't fit my, my world. No, it's not your world. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's not that he has to make new things. He has to make all things new. How? Maybe there'll be coffee in heaven. I don't know. But anything good in this life, he can take and make better in that. So when we get to heaven, our resurrection bodies will be incapable of dying. Just think of this. Jesus is incapable of dying. He's done it once for all of mankind as the pioneer of our faith. And there's one thing about him that he now can't do. He can't die again. So there's a man in heaven means we're not going to die. Number four. Our resurrection bodies will be incapable of pain and tears. I wonder whether we'll cry with joy, though. Consider that one. I don't know. I cry when I'm sad, but I cry when I'm happy. So maybe if there are tears, as the Bible says, there'll be no more sorrow or pain or tears for the old order of things have passed away. But maybe there'll be happy tears that we can cry. I don't know. Some things you just don't know. Number five. Our resurrection bodies, I want you to get this one, will be physical, real, and recognizable. When Jesus ascended from the dead and moved amongst his disciples, guess what? They recognized him. His body was different, but it was still physical. Touch my hands. Touch the hole. Touch the side where the spear went. He was still a physical being. How about this one? He sat on the beach with them and ate fish fish there's going to be food in heaven hip hip we won't put on weight in heaven hip hip oh that was the loudest response I've had all day there's going to be food in heaven and drink and celebration we'll stand on the new earth Randy Alcorn said see it feel it smell it taste it and hear its sounds because it's a physical thing. It's a, listen, it's okay if you invite me to your cremation. Not now, but, but please, at your cremation or your funeral, do not read a poem that says that your granny or you have gone to heaven to become an angel. Because you haven't. You don't become something that's not physical, and an angel isn't physical, it's a spirit being, when you die, ultimately you get a new body. You have a physical body to enjoy physical things. 
there are already the final number of angels. God doesn't create more angels by taking some people to heaven. So I know it's nice sentiment and all of that, but it is just that. It's a sentiment. The Bible doesn't talk about falling asleep in relation to staying asleep. It's talked about sleep that you fall asleep as a metaphor, then you wake up. You don't stay in a soul sleep. You don't get disembembered and then God remembers you at some life. Your physical being is, your body is put with your spirit man on the resurrection day and you enjoy the physicality of creation, the new creation. How about this one related to that? Number six, our resurrection bodies have extra dimensional qualities. Jesus appeared to them through a closed door. Jesus was breaking bread with them and then he disappeared. I'm looking forward to this one. And I won't have to wear underwear on the outside. And by the way, I think there will be clothing in heaven as well. Talks about white robes. Doesn't mean we're all going to be in robes. I hope not. <laughs> but we'll have clothing and, and, and we'll enjoy the physical part of heaven. And yet it will be different. We'll be able to have different dimensional qualities. I just want to look, I really do. That's one thing I think of heaven, that I'm, I'm having a conversation with Elijah and Moses, say, because they, they appear in the Bible. And then suddenly I disappear and they don't know where I've gone. I've gone to some other parts or they do know where I've gone, but they know because the way it works, we can do that kind of thing. Or the door's locked, but I don't need the door. There's this extra dimension of our bodies. Number seven, our resurrection bodies will be in the prime of life. How about this? <laughs> Theologians have discussed this for ages. How, how, how interesting is this? What age will we be in heaven? Some of them have decided, because Jesus was 33, we'll all be 33. Because when we see him, we'll be like him. Hey, 33 was okay. But I'm all, I, I don't know what age we'll be. Will there be children in heaven? Our oh, children are delight. That's seven of us that think that. Yes. Why wouldn't there be? Why wouldn't there be? Now, some of these things, we don't know. We just don't know. But we can imagine. And children are a delight. So maybe there'll be children in heaven. And animals? Will my dog be in heaven? I don't know. I really don't know. But do you love your dog? Do you love it? You love your dog. I've seen your Facebook post. It's disgusting. You love it too much. <laughs> There may be a dog will be in heaven. Sorry, Rachel. Forgive me. There may be a dog will be in heaven. I don't know. But why not? It does talk about lion and the lamb lying down together. Some say, oh, it's just metaphorical. Is it? Is it? Maybe there'll be animals in heaven. <laughs> Number eight. I want you to hear this, and I mean this with all sincerity. Because you don't hear this very often in preaching on heaven. Our racial and gender identities will probably continue in heaven. I say that particularly about our racial identities because this word says in Revelation 5 verse 9, and they sang a new song. This is a picture of heaven. And the song was, you are worthy to take the scroll and open it because you were slain. And it says at the end, you purchase for God persons from every tribe, language, people and nation. There's nothing wrong with the multiplicity of different uh, nature. Uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
racist. That's, that's the word I was looking for. There's nothing wrong with them. They're, they're part of God's creative genius. They're to be celebrated. As there is nothing wrong with our gender. We're not, we're not in Christ male or female, but that's talking about salvation. It's not saying that we become sexless. If I become a Christian through Christ, it's the same grounds. I have a saviour in Jesus, but I'm still a man and you're still a woman if you're a woman. So why wouldn't there be gender in heaven? Certainly, for sure, there will be those of different nations. Number nine, I added this one in just because I love the Ready Breck advert. You may have luminescent qualities to your body in heaven. In other words, you might glow. There might be, I don't believe Jesus, when he rose from the dead, had some kind of halo. That's just the way we interpret it. But it does say his body shone. It says when Moses had been with God and he came down from the mountain, and we'll be with God 24-7, if there is a 24-7, and we will maybe have a light. This is what it says in Daniel. It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And we'll certainly be wise then. So maybe there'll be some light that emanates from us. Number 10, this final one. Our resurrection bodies are the hope that keeps us going now. The last verse, Billy, when you read 1 Corinthians 15 this afternoon, says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We're going to receive resurrected, glorious, beautiful, fantastic new bodies. So, we comfort one another in our weakness right now. You've got aches and pains. You've got family that are sick. It's someone that's got cancer, brain tumor. Comfort them and yourselves with this. When they pass from this world to the next, I'm trying to avoid saying we've lost someone because we haven't lost them. We're just separated for a while. Comfort them with, are you a believer in Jesus? Because if you do, you know you can go into an eternal state. I was saying to Alpha, this week, I tell this story every time, Alpha's story, that I, when I take the one, who is Jesus? Or why did Jesus die, rather? I talk about when we were kids, we only ever had a black and white TV. And at Christmas, we used to have Quality Street. So we'd have a black and white television and Quality Street. That, this, was our, this is how we lived it up. So what we used to do is we used to unwrap the suite and then we used to watch the telly through the colored wrapper that we'd chosen. And I always used to choose the purple wrapper. You know, the one that is the hazelnut and chocolate. And I used to watch Christmas. So, and then we used to say, hey, we've got color telly. Now, we didn't have color telly. We had purple color telly. And I, was watch and I once watched a whole episode of the Avengers with Steed, is it, or Steel and Emma Peel and watched it all through the wrapper. That was my colour TV. This is my point. When you become a Christian, you come into Christ. You're in the wrapper of the blood of Jesus. So when God looks at you, He doesn't look at you and see your sin, your past, your mistakes. He looks at you through the quality of the wrapper of the blood of Jesus. And He just sees perfection. 
He just thinks you're wonderful, you're clean. Why? Because you've come into Christ. And Christ has come into you by His Holy Spirit. And so when we come to the day of judgment, when we come to a place of death, we don't have to fear. We can comfort one another with these words. We're in Christ. We have hope. God looks at us and says, we are righteous. So you can comfort one another with these words. We should be concerned for those that don't know Christ. We should. There's a heaven to be sought. And there's a hell to be shunned. Avoid it at all costs. We should be careful how we live. I'm not looking forward to this bit on Judgment Day. It says that all the things we've done, good or bad, will be revealed. I'll be saved. <laughs> I'm, I'm saved and secure. But it'll all be put before us. And then we'll go into our reward. But the things done in secret will be revealed. Don't know how that works. Don't know how long it lasts. But let's live careful lives. Steve, live a careful life because it's a day of judgment. And finally this, musicians, if you would come. Be compassionate. Feel deeply for others that don't have this confidence in Jesus Christ. Let's well up our compassion and say, come on, be assured. Death is certain unless Jesus returns before you die. Do you know him? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to ask us two things as I finish. Number one is this. I felt as I was preparing that there would be some of you in the room and you have a fear of death. I want to pray against that. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. I'm not going to prolong it. I'm just going to say, if you need prayer for that, then I want to pray for you. That somehow in the nighttime, it comes over you or in the quiet place, there's this fear of death. You're a believer. You don't need to fear. And then in a moment, I'm just going to ask for any that don't know Jesus to respond. But first, with their heads bowed, eyes closed, just by way of an action of faith, you want me to pray for you? Say, so, yeah, I struggle with this fear of death on occasions. Would you just raise your hand where you are right now? Thank you, thank you. Loads of us. Come on, nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you, thank you. Lots of us. Okay, you can put your hand down. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray against this fear of death. For we do confess what it says in your word. Death, where is your victory? We do see the sting of death on occasions when we lose loved ones. But we believe, Lord, the final, final enemy of death has been defeated through your death, burial, resurrection, and soon coming. So I pray for confidence to arise. Pray for the fear of death to subside and for us to remember God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and a sound mind. Let faith rise in Jesus and in His name we pray.